0: Welcome to another Through the Pines financial podcast, a financial planning podcast with a down-to-earth vibe Sasquatch would take the red pill for. I don't know, did you see the new one? No. haven't seen the new one? Uh, Okay. All right. All right. That's right. I went and saw saw the new one, but I didn't see any of the precursors. And so they were making fun of me because it was all new to me, red pill versus blue pill in the matrix, if you didn't get the reference there. Yes. Red pill versus blue pill. So Sasquatch would definitely take the red pill so he could figure out, you know, what what the alternative life may be here in Through the Pines. This episode, money management in your 40s. I just may enjoy this one because I might be in my 40s. Uh, we will cover emergency funds. How much do you need? Debt. How much debt is too much debt when you're in your 40s? Investment strategies. Should you be aggressive? Should you be not so aggressive? Insurance. What kind of insurance do you need? How much do you need? Brandon, I'm hoping has some more numbers, so we'll go over those. Kids. Do you have kids? Should you teach them about money? How do you teach them about money? Give them books. Give them an allowance. What do we do there? Estate planning, combining 401k with other investments, uh, living versus savings, which we talked about just recently on a previous episode, and then common questions that those in their 40s may be asking financial advisors. So we will dive right in right now. Again, this is Through the Pines podcast, money management in your 40s. Emergency fund, how much do we need? Rex, where are we at?
1: Well, thanks for having us on your podcast again, Brandon. Yeah. First off, we yeah. appreciate that very, very much. I appreciate thank that
0: you. you got a new camera; it looks really good. You look so much <laughs> better with the. <laughs>
1: thank you, thank you. I don't know how, how do my kids do it. Is it like this? I think is so. that how my kids do it. I think <laughs> something, something. Anyway, <clears throat> so um, you know, e- emergency funds. I know the general rule of thumb most people say is three to six months of your income, <clears throat> right? And for some people, that can be can be a fairly wide. Uh, area as, as far as that's concerned. I think, I think when, when I hear three to six months of your income, I, I actually probably don't agree with that completely. I think normally I want three to six months of your spending and we lean towards three months. Uh, if you're in a more stable career, more stable job, stable industry. Um, if you're, if you're in a, a more of a sales position, uh, something that's a little more fluid where you may be, um, you know, running your own company, you may be jumping between jobs periodically, things like that, then we certainly lean towards six months, and and sometimes even higher, sometimes nine months or 12 months, depending upon the kind of of work that you're in. So I think it really depends on the volatility of your income. Is that Uh, specific to
0: those of us in our 40s? Or does it matter if you're in your 30s, 20s, or whatever with that, that timeline and monthly savings?
1: So I, th- I think specifically in your forties that that's okay. critical. I think when you're in your twenties, um, you know, you can get away with with probably a little bit less in your emergency fund, things like that. Um, when you're when you're in your fifties, um, then then typically, you know, you're in a more stable position normally anyway. <clears throat> but if you're if you're unstable, then typically we'd go kind of to the six months. But you have so many moving parts when you're in your forties. You know, normally when you're in your forties. If, if you have children, typically you're dealing with teenagers, uh, kids that are maybe, you know, in high school or, or head towards college, uh, or junior high, things like that. And those are expensive children years during those years, you typically, um, like, or not typically have higher divorce rates in your forties. And so, you know, that, that can be upsetting and, and create a lot of uncertainty in people's lives. And so there, there's just a lot of moving parts when you're in your 40s. Hmm. And so we really like to to kind of err a little bit on the higher side when you're in your 40s on those emergency funds, because too frequently you have life events that come up that that can derail you financially. So.
0: Okay, good to know. Uh, I thought it was every time I call Rex, he just tells me to save more money. But that was another – I didn't (laughs) – That's that's a different podcast. (laughs) That's a different podcast. Okay, that's a different podcast. Uh, Okay, I I forgot to introduce – so Rex Baxter, Brandon Smith, and Dan, I don't think can make it because he's out of internet problems. I'm having camera issues. I keep switching back and forth on my camera. My camera keeps overheating for some reason. So uh, Rex with planwithbaxter.com. For more information, go to planwithbaxter.com. And you can chat personally with Rex or Brandon and get more information about how you should manage your money in your 40s. So I think thanks you guys so much for spending some time with us here today on this podcast. Uh, Debt is something that, you know, um, I grew up with and I'm very good at collecting. uh, I can tell you that much. (laughs) Uh, I've collected way too much in the past. So we, we have houses, we have cars, we have maybe student loans, maybe in our 40s still, um, at least I do. That's cool. Uh, and then some credit cards or something. What? Where are we sitting with debt? How much should we have in our 40s? When do we look at like, okay, we should be whittling this down?
1: Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not sure that there's a magic answer to how much should you have. Um, that's kind of a weird way to to Mm. ask the question. Like, should I have? Yeah, well, Rex (laughs) is like, uh,
0: zero, uh, no debt. Uh, But, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay, well, for those of us who aren't on that plan,
1: yeah. You know, as far as debt's concerned, typically your 40s is is lots of times when you're in your highest debt. Because Mm. lots of people, if you took out student loans for, for college, typically you still have those student loans. Lots of times we're seeing people start to get them paid off in their late 40s early 50s sometimes, um, which just means that we probably took out too much debt and didn't focus on paying it off quick enough coming out of college, unfortunately.
0: Or or the um, job didn't pay as much as you thought it might in that position. Yeah, or
1: absolutely. Or you didn't go into the field, which is a lot of times the case that, mm-hmm. that you went to school for, right? Very, very few people actually are in the field that they studied. So so there's there's lots of reasons. I shouldn't just cherry pick on, on one or two. Um, but lots of times you're, you're getting into your, your lifetime house in your forties. Um, you may have done that in your, in your late thirties, but lots of times the house that you're in, in your forties is the house that, that you're going to live in for, for the majority of your life. Um, and and so so maybe 25, 30 years left on your mortgage in your forties. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, I put you into your,
0: into your seventies paying that thing off.
1: (laughs) It it does. It does. (laughs) And then 40s lots of times you're hitting a midlife crisis too and and what do people go out and buy during their midlife crisis? Um, Star Wars
0: um Millennium Wars Falcon collector. collector. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Pretty sure what they. Brandon, what did you buy? Anything? For my midlife crisis? Yeah, do you have are you having one? Is it about time? Well, Should we I can just we facilitate turned
2: 33. that? I, I don't I I'm there yet, okay, but right. it'll be awesome when it happens. <laughs> Just wait, I'll let you know. <laughs>
0: Rex bought houses, right?
1: Rex, tell, tell me about the sailboat, Brandon. How'd you buy I mean, a sailboat? There, there is a sailboat out there, yeah, so. yeah.
2: That's not a midlife crisis. I, I found like old sailboat <laughs> oh, <cool>. that, <laughs> that you wouldn't believe how cheap you can get a sailboat for. I had like $90 of birthday money, I was like, I'm gonna spend this, you know. And so I got looking and I was like, Whoa, you can buy a sailboat for like like one to two thousand dollars, you can pick up a sailboat. Wow. So, I went and showed my wife. So, I do it. So, anyway, we bought a sailboat and it was one of the best decisions we've made. So,
0: that's fantastic. Okay. Well, that's a good idea. Uh, yeah.
2: I don't know that's a midlife crisis yet, but the next boat I buy just might be. Yeah. And it, it'll,
0: <laughs> that'll be the name on the back will be Midlife Crisis, midlife crisis. with waves or <laughs> yeah. whatever. All right. So, no,
2: I, I, in the, kind of adding to what Rex said, I, I think ratios make a lot more sense, right? Because debt load is is highly dependent on Mm. income. Um, What's too much debt for one person isn't very much debt for another. And so uh, usually we like in your 40s, although debt ratios are getting high a lot of times in, in 30s and 40s, we'd like to see optimally your debt to income ratio at about 25%. And what that means is if you take your gross your gross debt payments monthly, right, so what, whatever you pay on your debt, divide that by your gross monthly income, we want to see that at about a quarter percent. Um, obviously, we see those higher, we see those lower, um, but, but if you can get it at about a quarter percent, we find that people are able to manage that debt load, make those debt payments and still have enough left over to do the vacationing um, and, and live a fairly comfortable lifestyle. Um, with that said, I I mean I see them at, at 35% all the time. But but it starts to add the closer you the more you go up on that, the more financial stress you're gonna find.
0: Okay. 40s is a time when you have a lot of debt. That's what I heard.
1: <laughs> <Candy>. <laughs> okay. Way to boil that. <laughs> <candy>.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to get out of it before you retire. And so what is then our investment strategy? How aggressive should we be when we're in our forties?
2: Aggressive. Aggressive. Really pretty aggressive. Um, And and again, it gets back to, you know, something Rex said in another podcast of, of although it might make strategic sense for you to be aggressive and and to invest in in mostly stocks, um, if your stomach can't handle it, then it's never a good idea, right? Mm. The last thing we want you to do is invest highly, you know, very aggressively, be seeing those ups and then see it down and and you sell at the bottom and, and, and never recover. Um, so, so we always want you to, to be comfortable with where you're at. But typically, what we see is that, that uh, 2008, you know, took about three and a half years for the markets to come back. 2000 took about five years. Hmm. And as you go back through history, that three to five year mark is is, is very repeatable um, and happens and has happened quite a bit. Um, and, and so if you're 40 or let's say you're 45 or even 50. What are the chances that you're going to see a recession and have it come back between age 50 or 49 and age 65? Well, pretty likely, right? Mm-hmm. Probably at least once, maybe twice. Um, and can you ride that out? You're, you'd be better off to ride all the way out in, in an aggressive account. And and so as long as you can stomach it, it really makes sense typically in your 40s to stay somewhat aggressive.
0: Okay, so when do you back off? Uh, your late 50s?
2: Really comes down to to retirement planning, um, and and that's where we start to look at ratios, and and we start to look at you know what what is your your distribution rate going to be? Here we've accumulated this nest egg of four hundred one k, and when we're in retirement, how much do we need to pull out of that on an annual basis? And and if that's a bigger dollar amount that we need to pull out, then we need to have a bigger dollar amount set aside that's not going to fluctuate quite as much. Um, and, and then obviously we pair that with your personal risk tolerance. Can we, can we afford to be more, you know, aggressive or less aggressive, but, but those really all kind of get into the financial planning side of things. Uh, but, but typically, and this is just typically your 40 year old client isn't really all that serious about, you know, getting every last piece of their retirement plan put together, right. In your forties, you've got, you've got kids, you've got the higher debt look you know, loads. And and so a lot of times we see people just kind of turning the corner and just saying, I'm going to save as much as I can and typically be a little bit more aggressive with that and just see what comes out on the other side, right? When I Mm -hmm. hit my fifties and, 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 and oftentimes that that will work, you know, if if you can start saving at that age. All
0: right, Rex, you have a comment on this?
1: Yeah, I, I think, I think in your forties on the debt, load and and just talking about that versus the risk for just one more second but i think because we do have the the probability that in your 40s that that's when you're in your highest debt typically it's it's easy to blow up your financial plan and and put yourself really behind the eight ball during your 40s and so if you take that 25 percent ratio which obviously our goal is to to not have debt as financial advisors, right? And and we are big fans of being debt-free. And yet we understand, you know, the use of debt for leverage and and to, to grow your assets. But Side-by-sides,
0: RVs, I understand.
1: <laughs> those, those, those typically are they're not great debt, right? oh, They're absolutely. all going down in value except for this last year because used cars <laughs> that's are true. Yeah, That's That's a random <laughs> so year. The, yeah, this is one of those anomalies, but... <laughs> But I think it, if you think about 25% for just a second, just run through backwards through some numbers. If you, if you had you know, $10,000 a month, so $120,000 of income for a year, right? In, in a lot of Midwestern states, that's not a terrible income if you're making $120,000 a year. And yet 10,000 a month, if you have $2,500 a month in debt payments, so that would be your house, your escrow on your house, <clears throat> that would be a vehicle, things like that. I would, I would put it out there that probably a lot of people in their forties are, you know, significantly above that 25% number. Hmm. Um, and they're sitting closer to 30, 35, 40, you know, somewhere in that ballpark because they're, they're trying to keep up with the Joneses, you know, sorry to all the Joneses to the Smiths since I've got a Smith on here. Um, (laughs) so, so I, I think that this is the decade where that that's critical to not try and keep up with your neighbor and to really focus on your financial health um, during the decade of your forties. It, it is extremely critical to, to your future goals and your future self. Itself. Yeah. Yeah. That's not easy. Right.
0: Uh, okay. Investment strategy aggressive. Can you just real quick on that. Cause we talked about right. debts.
1: Yeah. So I, I think it's a, I think, you know, I, it's a good time to be aggressive. You still have, you know, in your forties, you have somewhere between, you know, 20 to 30 years left until retirement. Um, You're talking about, you know, significant, you know, three, four, five market cycles uh, between now and retirement where you can ride through those market cycles, not to say they're not going to be scary or or test your fortitude. um, But in general, this is a good time to be aggressive because you have plenty of time left. That being said, I would completely agree with Brandon that behavioral finance and knowing yourself well enough to know how much risk is too much risk um, is critically important. You don't want to, you know, put yourself into such an aggressive investment to where if it goes to zero or to where you panic out and sell and lose a bunch of money and then you're starting over again in your 50s, because that's where you have to get into a situation where you're saving you know, 15, 20, 25% of your income just to get back on track on your financial planning. Mm-hmm. And so I think making sure that you're as aggressive as you can be comfortable with and as aggressive as you need to be in order to reach your goals. So,
0: okay. All right. The fun, the fun part, um, insurance, I freaking hate insurance and love insurance at the same time. It's one of those things that it has, uh, I mean, it, it saved me with my house when a house, uh, when a, a house fell on my house. That's a movie. When a tree fell on my house, tornado (laughs) Tornado, tornado. tornado. tree fell on my house and insurance was there and it was like, okay, this is great. Um, you know, what other kinds of insurance do we need besides our homeowners, you know, our life insurance, what other, what other, how much should we be insured and how long should it last? Because we're going to retire in 20, 30 years, Rex.
1: So I'll start on this, and then I'll I'll pass the ball over to, to Brandon. But I think there's a number of kinds of insurance that you ought to be having. Um, certainly in your 40s, you ought to have health insurance, right? Uh, you yeah. um, normally you do that through your employer or through the um, Affordable Care Act or or the you know one of the the plans for your state wherever you're at. Um, you ought to have term insurance. Uh, is what we're bigger fans of as opposed to, to permanent insurance um, to make sure that, that you've got the right amount. There's a lot of rules of thumbs out there, whether it's, you know, 10 times your income, whether it's, uh, you know, however many times of your debt to make sure that your debt gets paid off and then, you know, to, to sustain family for a certain number of years. And and so there's a lot of calculations that can go through on life insurance. Um, you know, auto insurance, you're going to, you know, typically we want you to shop your auto insurance and your home insurance every three to five years, looking for different rates. I, I don't know if, you know, if you've had insurance with any particular company for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I'd love to hear from from the group, Uh, you know, if anybody's ever had their insurance rates lowered on their automobiles, even though their automobiles get, you know, get older. So uh,
0: that, <laughs> that's that, a negative. Uh... Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> so that is a big negative. Yeah. So that's that's why we shop those insurances regularly. is is to to try and make sure that we're you know keeping good rates there. Um, disability insurance, specifically if you're self employed um, or run your own business, a lot of a lot of times that's an insurance that gets overlooked. And yet, um, there's a significant number, uh, you know, more people get go through a disability as opposed to death. And so, you know, disability insurance, I would argue is, is probably even more important than, than life insurance, or certainly as important, um, as life insurance is concerned. And then typically we also want an umbrella policy, um, in place as far as insurance goes for those, you know, unexpected, you know, accidents that, that go above our, our limits or slip and fall accidents, or somebody sues you or, or something along those lines. Those are typically very inexpensive types of insurance. Um, to, to add to your policies, so you know, if somebody's listening to this, they might think, Oh my gosh, these guys are insurance hounds and, and love insurance. We actually don't, we actually are not enormous fans of insurance. Wait, do you sell insurance, like Rex? But we do, you, you know, do? we okay. are insurance licensed, we do sell insurance, and and insurance does have a place, it has a place in every financial plan, it has a place in in everybody's life, one way or another. Um, <clears throat> but but we just don't want you to be overinsured, and it's really easy. Um, specifically in your 40s to become overinsured between your your benefit plans at work, between friends and family trying to sell you insurance, um, <laughs> or your neighbor, whoever that is, never happens. Uh, you know, it's it's really easy to to become overinsured, and and lots of times, insurance is is really easy to sell because you know they can play on fears and emotions and. And things like that to try and get you to buy more and and you don't really realize it until two or three or four years later and you've paid all these premiums. And then all of a sudden you realize, my gosh, there might have been a might have been a, a more efficient way to do this. Hmm. So okay. but but Brandon kind of he started in the insurance industry back in the day. And so he, he may have some additional thoughts.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I think one one stat that is has always fascinated me is is that and it. it Really holds true pretty much across the board, um, but for every dollar you pay in premium, yours the the way the insurance company set it up is so that you're going to get back approximately sixty cents, um, which sounds like a bad deal, and it is. <laughs> um, but, but essentially, you know, there's there's commissions to be paid, there's buildings to be maintained, there's profits to be made, right? Like you have all those things, and so. Every, every policy that you pay a dollar into, you should get about 60 cents back. Now, some of those we're hoping for a worse return, like life insurance, right? We're hoping that we pay into it and don't ever get any money back. Um, but but uh, to exactly to Rex's point, insurance is important. Um, if I were to die, you know, what would happen to my family? If I were to become disabled, what would happen to my life, right? What, what would happen if, if I had cancer? you know, I'm not just going to not get treated, right? Like, and, and, and so you, you really do, there's catastrophic things that you absolutely need insurance coverage for. Um, when you look at, when I look at my insurance, right? And I look at my life insurance, my disability insurance, my health insurance, and I put all those insurances, my auto all that stuff all together and look at it as a percentage of income. It's a really fairly small number. Yeah, I was gonna. Um, and, I was gonna and, ask
0: what that should be, or somewhere around. If you have an idea, you know,
2: I don't. I don't have the exact um, figure of of what percentage of income that should be. But but when you consider that it's it's more or less bulletproofing, you know, you're you're trying to make your financial plan so that one thing can't just derail the whole thing. Um, it, it's a relatively small number when you, when you look at it. The other thing, and this is probably cheesy. But but you know, I look at the premiums I pay on my life insurance, my disability insurance, and I realize that 60% of everything I'm paying is actually going out to families in need, right? That have lost a spouse, that have lost, that have become disabled. And 60% of everything I'm paying is actually going to those families to help take care of them. And 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 although that's cheesy, it, it kind of feels good. You know, that that I'm, you know, I'm supporting those people. And if anything ever happened to me, I'd be taken care of as well. And so I think it's important to review your insurance, make sure that you're covered so that you and your family aren't going to suffer um, dramatically if something happens to you. Um, but also make sure you're not, you know, paying for insurance that you don't need just yeah. because it's, it's an inefficient use of assets.
1: So I dabble. I feel, I feel good all of a sudden, Brandon, just because yeah. I feel like my, my insurance can, can be my charitable giving plan. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
0: Can you write that off Rex? No, (laughs) no, no, no. (laughs) Well, you know, I dabbled briefly in insurance and back in the day, I got my license and everything. Not I, and maybe it was, you know, the company I was with, but I've never heard of anyone until today, right now, uh, press the importance of disability insurance. Why, why haven't I heard that until today?
1: I, that, that's a good question. I think a lot of people don't like to buy it because a lot of people have it through their employers. Right. Mm. And so a lot of times people aren't pushing it or selling it because of that. Um, and, and I think most people just inherently don't want to buy disability because, you know, they, they feel like, Oh, it's always going to happen to somebody else. It'll never happen to me. And so I think most people kind of view it that way, but I think and I I wish I had the number off the top of my head, but I can't remember what the number is. But there's a certain you know ratio or number of people that are going to be disabled versus the people that are going to utilize life insurance, and, and it's it's somewhere around you know. It's one
2: in five or one in three, I think, depending on who you talk to. Oh wow! But yeah, it, it's it's a it's a it's a likely scenario. Because yeah. disability, often we think of disability as getting in a nasty car accident and being, you know, paraplegic or quadriplegic. No, like disability is, is, is skin cancer. And, mm-hmm. and now you have to take three years off of work to, to go through chemotherapy. Disability is, 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 I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can become disabled and not be able to go to work. And that's what we're looking to cover. And not all disability policies are the same. Um, it really comes down to the details of the policy. What does it cover? What, what you know? How long am I covered in my current job, or am I covered, you know, in in any job? If if I can't do my current job, are they going to make me go work somewhere else? Um, and and so anyway, those those are kind of the nuances that you want to make sure you look at when you're considering disability insurance.
0: All right, let's move along here, Brandon. Do you have some more numbers for? Financial planning, yeah. money management in your 40s. All right. Let's hear it.
2: So, uh, so this is kind of interesting. So in housing, and this is by Freddie Mac, um, the average interest rate nationwide on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage was 3.11% um, at the end of 2021. Wow. That was the average, 311 which is unbelievably low. Yeah. I remember – all-
0: I, re, excuse me, I remember refinancing people to six and a quarter in, or it was around two, between 2005 and 2008 when everything went to crap, and they were ecstatic to get in the sixes, and then fives. Fives was like unheard of, um, and it was, it was you know, a heyday, and then 2008 happened, but yeah, moving on.
2: So, so the all-time low national average, so this is national average, all time low record was set on January 7th, 2021, at 2.65% Whoa. for that 30 year. Yeah.
0: Whoa. They are the that's winners. Average. Yeah. They are the winners. I think I'm at three and a quarter. So, and I'm happy with that. Like that. Yeah. Cause I got yeah. that a few years ago. Um, yeah. And I don't know how, I don't know how I got that, but that's pretty interesting. Two, what was it? Two point... 2.65. 2.65 on January 2nd, 2021.
2: January 7th. 7th, 2021.
0: 7th, 2021. Hey, man, if we could know those dates in advance, that would be nice, Brandon. If you could, <laughs> if you could, if you could figure that out for next time. <laughs> okay, well, um, all right, we're in our 40s. We're talking about how to manage our money in our 40s. And weird, a lot of us have kids. Um, Rex, you gave me a pretty good idea on how to handle some some like money giving to the kids and how to split that up and stuff. What are we doing with the kids? Uh, how do we teach them about money? Do we just give them books? Do we give them allowances? Do we subsidize their life and for how long until they're probably 30 years old? Um, and you know, when do we kick them out? Rex, you've got more kids than all of us here combined. What are your
1: thoughts? <laughs> way, way to, way to set the stage. <laughs> <laughs> I just,
0: I'm just trying to make sure you're credible is all. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm extremely credible when it comes to kids. So, uh, for those that know me, uh, you know, you know, I have a lot of kids for those that don't. I have seven children, so. <laughs> seven,
0: seven. Yep. Yeah. And so, then he says like so. the oldest one and the youngest one. and I'm like, what? That is impossible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's quite the, quite the gap in, in ages for those seven. Children.
0: And did you, before you get into like the basic overview of how to teach the kids, I'll, I'm just curious, you personally, have you changed the way you've taught your kids about money from the oldest to the youngest?
1: Um. Yeah, a little bit. You you learn on the you know you you test everything out on the oldest, and <laughs> yeah. and then you're burned out by the youngest. Yeah. And so you know, <laughs> the youngest gets nothing. So, you know, so <laughs> okay. This is the one time that the middle kids probably benefit. Oh my um, gosh. So, no, I you, you absolutely learn. Um, I I think I think the important thing about about kids and money is to, is to not ignore it, not hide from it. I think you'd be amazed at how many families don't talk about money with their kids. Um, you know, they don't talk about how much they're making and how much they're paying on different things. And they try and, and protect their kids, uh, by not talking about it. And I think that that in, in my view is, is a real disservice. I think it's, it's better to be very open, uh, very communicative with your children, um, when you're, when you're dealing with money, you know, even, even if you want them to sit at the table while you're paying your bills so that they understand, you know, even though you might be making a a good income, how much of that's going for the vehicles or how much is going for the house and the light bill and, and how they can help you save by turning off their lights and, and things of that nature. I think those are important things for, for kids to learn and understand. And I think, I think working with your kids, you know, we've talked with, with a lot of clients about different ways to, to help our kids by, you know, starting accounts with them, um, reviewing those accounts with them, having them maybe, you know, go through investments and, and, and sometimes we invest money, not necessarily just for rate of return, but sometimes it's for education. And so, you know, if your kids are huge fans of, of certain entertainment companies or certain apparel things like that, then sometimes you can go in and, and say, well, look, let's, let's buy a piece of that company and then let's see how they do, you know, since you like them and, and start to teach them about investments in that way. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I was surprised. So, so, and I mean, this was, this, we, we went over this, but I gave, I gave my kids hundred bucks for Christmas and then I and then you suggested take them to the bank, give them the cash, take them to the bank. So they had to hand that hundred dollar bill over to the teller. Well, I have an 11 and a seven year old. My 11 year old was excited because she knew she was getting the 50 bucks back and she already knew what Starbucks drink she was going to buy. Yeah, the 11 year old. The seven year old was very skeptical and was like, Dad, no, this is, we're not giving this lady, I don't even know her, my money. Like, what is going on here? Right. Like, it was a very interesting experience. And it was, I'm so glad we did it that way and it was fun. And then uh, when Emerson got the 50 bucks and the way, in the way we did it, we, uh, we actually, we actually, uh, I think we bought, he wanted some race car tracks or something that we got on Amazon and then we just confiscated his 50 bucks. Cause what he, you know, everything he wanted on Amazon came up to about that much. So he's going to learn about how to buy online here real, real quick. Uh, yeah. And, but then he had, but he had delayed gratification as well because where my daughter went out and spent the 50 bucks with the cash, like she handed the cash over and bought something with, we left the bank and went to Starbucks and she's, I think she spent all 50 bucks at Starbucks and one drink, it was okay. just one drink. Half a drink at, yeah. I one mean- drink. Yeah, half a drink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, And then, and then, you know, we went home and then we ordered the car parts and then he's like, dad, where, where's my, where's my car? Par- you know, where's my, where's my stuff? Where's my, I'm like, well, this is how the world works. I'm like, <laughs> this is how yeah, it works. Exactly. Uh, and I thought it was very interesting. What, you know, is, So that's good. How long do you do that? How long do you, you know, do you give them allowance and what do you base it off of? And then at what point when they're uh, 37 years old and still wanting your allowance, do you kick them off? And how do you, like, how do you transition out of that into uh, the the money they're making from their own job?
1: Yeah, I think, I think everybody's very different. Every family is very different. So my, my advice um, typically is going to be tailored to that family and knowing their personalities and knowing their kids as far as how to wean off and, and how to, how to do that. I know for, for a lot of families, you know, we try and have them, you know, wean off when they're 16 because lots of times by the time they're 16, they ought to be, you know, working a a part-time job either on a weekend or or nights or something like that a little bit. Um, Sometimes we don't, if they're, if they're heavy into athletics and, and, you know, their schooling is more of a priority and, and they don't have time to work, then sometimes we'll continue that on throughout throughout high school. It just kind of depends on, on those situations that's going on. When they're younger, um, you know, lots of times we, we might do a little bit of an allowance, but generally we, we do chores, right? We pay for things. We pay for, you know, things around the house, whether it's raking leaves, whether it's doing dishes, whether it's, you know, helping with laundry, some, something like that. And and have them earn it, as opposed to just receive it. Um, and and so I I think just when you're giving kids money and just handing it to them, unless there's something behind it, I think that can turn into a disservice because it it turns into <clears throat> into kind of a socialistic environment a little bit. No, oh, I'm not kidding. Time. I I this is the first
0: so. time I tried that, and I I felt control. I'm like, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you want, yeah, the, a, you want a, that a, money a, again, yeah. kid, it's time to start cleaning some bedrooms around here. Um, what kind yeah. of I, I know, I think Dave Ramsey had a, a game board a board or something. Are there games, books? Are there things that you recommend that kids the parents can can use with their kids to help teach them about money and how money works?
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about a couple books. Brandon probably has a couple of books too. Um, <clears throat> there's, there's, you know, the, the ones that come to mind, um, and, and a lot of it depends on the age of the kids, right? And so my, my kids that are kind of reaching 10, 10 years old and, and maybe early teens, there's a book out there called The Wealthy Barber that I like an awful lot. Um, it's kind of written for, for younger kids. Um, there's also the Tuttle Twins books that talk a lot about uh, the economy and money and, and different things along those lines and how a dollar works and inflation and, and those are actually great books for, for kids that are probably about, maybe about 7 to, to 12 or 13. And yet, it they do such a good job in some of those books that I'll actually not plagiarize, but I certainly will use their examples of, you of say, how to explain money. Did you, you say know?
0: Tuttle? Like T-U-T-T-L-E? Tuttle?
1: Yeah, yeah. You well, know, the Tuttle Twins.
0: Rex, don't be ashamed of that. There was a Jeopardy champion who, when when asked, because he had a long run, when asked how does he know so much, it was because he would go to the library and read the children's book sections. And he yeah, just retained some of those all the books
1: info. Are, are brilliant yeah. in the way that they describe things and explain things. And <clears throat> so, you know, there's there's something to be said for somebody that can explain something to somebody like their two. <laughs> I, right? If you for real. break it down that simple, yep. it's it's brilliant. And so so, so that that's one of the books. Um, I think, you know, there's a game out there that I used to play with scout groups all the time called the Stock Market Game. I'm um, not sure if it's still out there or not. <laughs> I, was just, I could <laughs> just imagine
0: you like, give me all your money. Uh, I'm... <laughs> it's a good game it's a good game <laughs>
1: and now it's gone and now it's gone so, no. see how that works
0: life lesson kids <laughs> let's let's yeah, go so camping it,
1: it was it was a great game right you'd go through and and they would draw a card and the card would say whether the markets were up or down or what some news item mm. or something like that and so they would buy or sell and and you know make or lose money or whatever and so we would do that for for an hour and then you know, whoever, whoever won would get a pick, you know, whether we get ice cream or donuts.
0: I but. just thought of a game I played as a kid and I love this game and I, and I didn't realize it was, I was playing the market and that's pit. Have you ever played pit? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Pitt. It's so, that was f- so fun.
1: Futures game. Yeah. Talking about futures with barley and wheat and rye. Corn and, and the, the bull and the bear. Middle. Yeah. That's yeah. a
0: blast too.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, that is a blast from the past. <laughs> so, Yeah. yeah. Brand, Brandon, do you have some favorite books too? I assume.
2: Yeah. I, so one of my favorites is Richest Man in Babylon. Um, fairly quick read. It's a short book. I think it's like 100 pages or something like that. But but a, a little bit of the older English, older style um, writing, but just brilliantly put together. And and, and and, in my opinion, goes A to Z on, mm-hmm. on financial concepts. Very, I thought, very entertaining. And so I I also wanted to bring up Rex is is keeping the best secrets um, and not sharing them, but Rex actually plays Deal or No Deal with his kids. Oh, oh, (laughs) okay. uh, And and I'm not sure what that teaches. It (laughs) seems more like the gambling (laughs) side, but but uh, there's got to be something behind
1: it. So. It's, yeah, I'm not sure what the what the financial <laughs> lesson is there, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, they they had to work as a team. And so for Christmas, we kept some of their Christmas money aside and and played a couple of, of money games and and it was kind of fun to see how they would react and how excited they would get if there was a two dollar bill inside of one of those envelopes or something like that. And so um, you know, just just making games of it. But but at the end of the at the end of the game, <clears throat> you know, I was impressed that my kids that as far as what they won at every one of them ended up putting over half of whatever they won into either their bank account or their or their investment account mm. um, without prompting. Yeah. And so that that was phenomenal. And so yeah. that was a proud dad. Book. That's you proud dad know, one. as far as that goes. Yeah, so. So that, that was good. I think a couple other books that I really like out there grow rich slowly is is a good book out there a little bit of a long read, but but great book goes again through, um, you know, money and and investing for the long haul, things like that. The Millionaire Next Door, um, or the Millionaire Mindset, uh, is is another set of great books that are out there. Um, if on on the investment front, there's one out there by by Richard Bernstein that was written about 22 years ago called uh, Avoid the Noise, um, which I think is as applicable today as it was then. Um, just talking about, you know, not making investment decisions and financial decisions based off of the latest headline. Um, and, and again, investing for the long haul. I'm not so, so sure Jim
0: Cramer yeah. would like that.
1: <laughs> Jim, yeah. If, if you remember what happened to Jim Cramer during 2000. <laughs> I don't know. Did he, he get, get spanked, of, spanked or, he or what? In 1998. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, I
0: have his book, actually. I got about halfway through it and was like, I don't know. What, I don't know what he's doing.
1: Oh my gosh. He, he had a, he had, if I remember right, he had a breakdown. Uh, you know, he was big on the, on the tech bubble before 2000. And, and I think, um, was involved in a company that may have gone belly up Mm. as far as that's concerned and may have had a little bit of, of a breakdown back in there somewhere, but, um, smart guy, very, very smart guy. Just, I think everybody makes poor decisions when they're emotionally charged.
0: Yeah. He seems like he's a hundred percent emotionally charged all the time, (laughs) but that's another story. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I know, um, and I will not get this quote right, but Shaquille O'Neal said something like this. He said, you know, when he was talking to his kids about being rich, he said, Oh, we're not rich. I'm rich. And, um, (laughs) you know, you're going to have to earn it essentially. Like I'm not giving you my money, you know? And I thought, you know what? That's pretty great because he's teaching them at a young age. Like, Hey man, to each your own you know like you got to figure it out so yeah yeah but,
1: i tell my kids all the time that you know my my goal is to not leave them an inheritance right so, <laughs> <laughs> my goal is to spend that all getting life spent and, well i think some
0: i think uh our, our berkshire hathaway friend i mean he's he's got um a plan to where his money's gone within the first or second generation right he said i feel like it's a It'd be an undue burden for my like, great grandkids to try and figure out how to spend my money. It's just not fair to them, and so he's got it figured out how it's going to disperse out and going to be gone, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, he's done a lot of estate planning on that end. <gasps> you should talk about estate model.
0: planning, Rex. Look at that. Good Look at job.
1: That. Look at that estate planning in your forties. Yes. Right? Yeah.
0: No. Um, yeah. Sure. Do we need it in our forties?
1: Uh, absolutely. Okay. You You need some things. By by the time you're in your 40s, you know, most people in their 40s, they they have kids. And so what happens if something happens to you? You know, do, do you have a guardianship uh, directive inside of your will. Do you have, you know, who's going to who's going to look over the financial assets and, and make financial decisions for your minor children? Um, so so you certainly ought to have some basic estate planning documents in place, whether it be a will, whether it be your health care directives, your medical powers of attorney. Um, either immediate or springing powers of attorney that, that you ought to have in place. Uh, you know, I, I personally am big fans of trust of people having family trusts, uh, revocable living trusts um, in your 40s. Uh, it, it makes life so much simpler on, on your kids and those that survive if something happens to you. Is that a plan with um,
0: Baxter thing or do they need to call their attorney or how does that work?
1: So so we we aren't attorneys, right? There, there's our disclaimer. We're, we're not attorneys. We do consult with attorneys and work closely with attorneys in drafting or, or guiding some of the provisions uh, that may be important to our clients in those documents. So lots of times we'll sit down with our clients and with the attorney and, and go through, you know, different k- kinds of, of documents that we think that they need. And the attorney certainly will guide that and, and draft it and, and do the actual work. And so I think our next podcast in February, uh, we probably will have a guest attorney on, on our podcast and, and that will probably be focused on estate planning, um, in general. And and so we, I'm sure we'll get into that, but I I think it's extremely important to have that in your forties. And yet you'd be amazed at how many people in their forties have nothing. Um, just haven't done any estate planning at all in their forties is the vast majority of the public. Yep. And yeah, so, <laughs> yeah and, and you're not alone. Yeah. Right. And, and so I, I think a lot of people think it's too expensive. Um, lots of times for basic estate packages in, in the Midwest are going to range somewhere between maybe 1500 to maybe $3,000 for, for basic packages. Um, you know, if we're dealing with special needs or, or, you know, asset protection trusts or, or, you know, Generation Skipping Trust, there different, you know, techniques and, and technical issues out there, then, then that obviously would go up from there. Okay.
0: All right, Brandon, any word on that?
2: Just that you're, you're right. Most people don't have that in place, um, which works out just fine as long as you don't die, you know? <laughs> <And that's, laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, there are benefits even while you're alive to have that stuff in place. But that, that's that's really the biggest. And, and even in your 20s and 30s, right? I, I, I remember kind of going looking through that on my own. and I said, man, if I were to die, right, because I've got life insurance on myself and on my wife and and, we, you know, started building our net worth. And and, and I started looking at that and, and saw the dollar amount that that would be that would be given to my kids when they were 18. You know, they lose both if they lost both parents and they're handed this massive, you know, sum of money. I can't think of a way to destroy a kid any faster. Hmm. Right. And 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 really the best way to control that is to set up a trust, make it so the assets of, you know, the life insurance proceeds, assets that you've accumulated are in the trust. And then, you know, you as- assign people to take care of your kids. I've I've on mine, and you can that's what's cool about trust. You can do whatever you want. But on mine, I've I've set aside, you know, I will pay for, you know, weddings and education and things like that. Up to this period of time, Rex and I. Rex kind of came up with it. I fully espoused it. But but uh, people are who they are financially once they're they're thirty. Right before that, a lot of stuff fluctuates, and so I kind of built my trust around that. Right, so that um, I don't give my kids a lot of money before they're thirty. What, what do you mean? What do you
0: mean by that, Brent? People are who they're financial. What are
2: you- uh, meaning that that um, you know by the time you're thirty, your your financial patterns, your financial habits are, are kind of stuck into mm-hmm. place, you know? Um, and, and sometimes I feel like it helps, um, not to be given too much money prior to that. Um, you know, and, and you can do it and you can do it wisely and things like that. But, but for me personally, I just wanted my kids to, to, you know, have some things paid for, but for the most part, have them learn how to exist in this world without, you know, handouts given to them. Yeah. And then beyond that, right, giving them a little bit to experiment with, to try with, and then a little bit more and a little bit more. Because ultimately, I want financial happiness and financial freedom for my kids. And I want that as as soon as they can handle it. Um, But I want them to be able to learn first. I I think Rex frequently quotes that the typical average inheritance is spent in, I think it's two or three years. and 18 months. 18 18 months. I could do it in six. And I can attest to that. You watch (laughs) people giving money and it is gone. Wow. like Just overnight. Yeah. And, and I mean, this, this money's lasted for decades for these people. It's divvied out to their beneficiaries and it's just gone. And and some of it's spent wisely and a lot of it's not. And, and so I, I just I don't know. That's where trust comes in. You're able to really guide how, what you would want to have happen for your kids. And in your 40s, that's probably one of the more applicable um, things.
0: All right. So we're in our 40s. Uh, we're wrapping up here we're talking about money management in your 40s. And we talked a little bit about this next question in our previous episode. Uh, you can go back and listen to that one. That one was episode 13, uh, Financial Planning Basics, about like what should the balance be between spending, investing, savings? Uh, when you're in your 40s, and of course everything depends on this show, uh, what are we looking for as a balance for savings? Uh, that 10 to 15% range?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> Rex, well, I'll turn that over for Rex. <laughs>
0: well, it depends. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I'll
1: let him say it depends. I'm pretty sure I said that in the last episode like five times. So It depends. I can say that. Um, we really try to, to hit that 10 to 15% in our early forties. And so typically, you know, People can start out at that. If you get people to start at 10 to 15 percent when they're in their early 20s, when they're just getting out of college or or starting those first jobs, then typically they'll maintain that throughout their mm-hmm. lifetime. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't, and and so a lot of people, uh, you know, when they're when they're getting out of college, they're they're not saving that 10 to 15 percent. Then they get married, and then they have a child or two, and 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 so lots of people in their in their late 20s, early 30s are starting out uh, just at the matched level. So on, on a 401k plan. And so if the if the 401k plan is, can, you know, it has a match of four percent, if you do five or if you do six, then they're starting at that five or six percent level. And then the, it's just kind of a set and forget and they just forget about it and they just leave it. And, and next thing they know, they're in their 40s or 50s and it's still at that, you know, five or six percent level. And so we really try to work with people building up to their forties to increase that contribution by a percent per year or half of every raise or, or different techniques to try and get them up to that 10 to 15% certainly at least by the time they're in their forties, if they, if they didn't get there at an earlier habit or an earlier age. Um, and this is, so this is where the financial planning comes into play says is when you're in your forties, you know, we still have a lot of time, and so you're not necessarily under the gun to where we have to jump up savings drastically. If if you haven't done a ton beforehand, um, when we get into our late 40s and then into our early 50s, if we haven't gotten to that savings rate, then then we start feeling a lot of pressure to try and get there or to delay retirement, one or the other. Um, and so, or make I, more money. I, I think that or, or make well, making more money is not the answer. Um, I can show you plenty of examples that people will spend what they make. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah. just, just because you're making more money doesn't mean that that you're saving it. Just means you're increasing mm. your lifestyle a lot of times, um, which just compounds the issue. Mm. So,
0: yeah, yeah, screw it. Never make more money. Bad idea.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah. Take take it back. Take you? it back. <laughs> Don't make more money. <laughs> make more money, but make sure your savings increases uh, you know, re- relationally with it. Right? Yeah.
0: So. All right. Very good. Um, okay. So this is through the pines financial planning podcast and we're wrapping things up here. Is there a question that you guys get from 40 year 40 year olds more than any other question?
1: I I get a couple, um, yeah. <clears throat> two that come to mind that I get a lot and, and Brandon, you probably have a couple as well, but, but, Probably the one question I get a lot is, is Rex, I've changed jobs two or three times over the years. I've got some old retirement accounts. Um, what do I do with them? Mm. And and so lots of times by the time we're in our 40s, we're, we're in a more stable either career or a business that we've started and it's starting to take off and do better and we're a little more stable in that in that business. And so <clears throat> we're not changing jobs as frequently, hopefully by the time we're in our 40s. And so we try and get things consolidated. We try and get things put together, whether we're rolling that money into IRAs, whether we're putting it into the new 401k or setting up a 401k for you as a business owner. Um, that, that's probably one of the, the bigger questions we get. And then the other one revolves around insurance is hmm. lots of times in their 20s and 30s, they're getting sold permanent insurance as a hybrid plan as kind of retirement and life insurance combo um and and they're just not seeing that grow the way that they would like it to lots of times and so lots of times they'll they'll ask us a lot of questions regarding permanent insurance versus term insurance when one is good versus the other is good and and different ways to make sure that they remain protected but they still have uh liquid assets when they need it in retirement so those are probably the top two i see how about you brandon
2: yeah i, th- I think the biggest one for me is is a lot of times in your 40s, that's when it first really hits people. Right. In your 30s, people start saving into a 401k here and there, but but they feel like they're just like being overachievers, right? <laughs> I'm in that <laughs> bucket. <laughs> I, right. Like, yeah, I'm saving. I'm saving. Yeah. Right. But but in the 40s is when it gets real, you know, and and, and rightfully so. It's when you're starting you can you can make or break a retirement with your 40s. Mm. And and I think it goes back to what Rex was saying earlier is, is 40s is what typically when people come out of just like being so tight, you know, based on, you know, spending money on kids and everything else, they finally, their careers start rolling and they finally get that extra money. And you start to see people in their 40s making decisions. Um, And, and, and that's either, you know, side-by-sides and boats and, you know, or is it a bigger house? Like you'll see people go out and buy a house that's way more than they should, right. Or, or whatever that is. Um, and, and they can, with that extra little bit of freedom, do you take that and, and, and secure retirement, or do you take that and jump that lifestyle? And, and, and it might not be an either, or it might be a balance of both, but forties is a lot of times where people really have that ability to do more than just start saving into a, a 401k, right. But actually kind of take charge of their overall financial life. And, and, and so hopefully, you know, that a lot of retirements I think are made
0: made or broke in their 40s okay here's a super awesome hypothetical that you are going to tell me maybe on or it's possible i already know the answer it's possible if you're in your 40s say mid 40s um and you want to retire a multi-millionaire is it still possible on, and how much would you have to make
1: uh, maybe, it's possible. maybe. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Rick. Yeah.
2: Multi-millionaire. So what do you want? How much do you want Two. in savings? Two. Two million. So $2 million in investable assets is a, is, is a big number. If you're starting at zero mid forties, mm-hmm. that, that is a, a pretty big number, but let's just say that, right. Let's say $2 million. Um, so you got $0. What are we just assuming? an 8% rate of return.
0: Oh no, we're at, 12
1: we're 12 yeah we're an no, easy 12 let's let's use eight let's use eight, <laughs> <laughs> let's use eight. <laughs> brandon oh. <laughs> sorry we we are conservative oh. advisors oh. And i'm not even sure eight is conservative as far as that goes for the next decade oh conservatives so. probably oh
0: wow really rex are you making <laughs> a prediction so. right now for the next no, decade i'm, I'm not oh, making, okay. that's exactly what i am not okay doing. exactly <laughs> not making any okay predictions.
2: So eight percent. Assume you're forty five, going to sixty five. Okay. Twenty year window. Two million dollars. We're looking at three thousand three hundred ninety five dollars per month.
0: It's possible.
1: It's possible. It's possible. (laughs) It depends. Yeah.
2: But but man, that number becomes a lot easier when there's you know forty years. (laughs) <laughs> yeah or until,
0: even yeah if you're 30 years old doing that what's if you're 30 right, if you've
2: got 40 years until retirement right so you're 25 that same number is 573 oh my
0: times. gosh it's crazy
2: yeah yeah it, it, it's pretty, and you ran it's that at eight yeah. percent yeah and and that's what gets hard though right yeah. if you don't do anything in your 40s and you wait till you're in your mid 50s then it's like I mean, you're just hammering it in, and you're not really getting very much compounding interest. It's more yeah. or less just how much can I just, you know, shove in? Well, well, I know we're short on on time. I yeah. want to give you one last quick story. Oh, yeah, I, I had a client who was just a teenager, right? But he had t- parents that were probably in their 40s, um, living at home, right? And and I think he told me, yeah, I was just playing video games, not really doing a whole lot, right? But he was living in his parents' basement, and his that was the one the one Condition on him living in the basement was that he saved into his 401k, and it was something like 500 bucks a month. They said, "You know what? You do what you want, but you've got a 401k at work, and you're going to save. You know, you're going to save this much per month." And he started doing that not because he knew anything or wanted. You know, it was just because that was those were the conditions. Seemed like better than paying rent. Yeah. And you would not. I mean, it amassed to an, an incredible wow. number for him. Yeah. And really just built out. And so I, I wonder sometimes how often you know, that's possible, yeah. you know, where you got the kids living in the basement, you're not ready to really kick them out, but, but you know, they got money floating around and you tell them, Hey, 500 bucks a month into your 401k plan, do it into the Roth side, right? If they're not making a lot, so it all grows tax-free, it's tax-free in retirement. I mean, that can do some pretty incredible things for your kids cool. um, just by telling them to do it.
0: Very cool. You guys are awesome. Thanks so much for spending time with us today for more questions or to get in touch with Rex or or Brandon or Dan, who was unable to join us today. It's planwithbaxter.com, planwithbaxter.com. And it's B-A-X-T-E-R, planwithbaxter.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see that we are very beautiful, handsome young men uh, if you are not, thanks, Rex, got he has kids. Uh, if you're not if you're listen, listening to this on the podcast, you can watch the visual version over at the Banyan Collective on YouTube. That's Banyan, B-A-N-Y-A-N, the Banyan Collective on YouTube. Please hit the subscribe button and the little bell alert as not to miss another upcoming podcast or live version. Catch the live versions once a month. You can actually chime in. And so if, uh, if we're talking about a subject that might, uh, you know, You have a question about or sort of pertains to you, you can chime in with a question. We can answer those in real time, which is pretty cool. Um, As much as we can, anyway, on in a live format on live TV. Is that what we say? So yeah, on a lot, yeah. But it'd be but it's fun, and we like to do that. So so watch for that uh, next live in February. Uh, Otherwise, thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. And this has been through the pines, reminding you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams.